Well, I'm not going to say hi, Pete, because Pete's not here. He's in Melbourne watching the footy and uh, uh, quite indisposed. I tried to call him a little while ago and um, he couldn't even hear me from the, uh, the roaring of the, of the crowd. And, uh, and he's obviously having a great time. So I'm flying solo today on episode six of Boundless Possible. It's Leon Loganathan here. Um, today I'm going to interview a local guy, a Territorian, Adam Drake. Um, welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Uh, Adam. G'day, <laughs> mate. How are you? Yeah. So, uh, Adam, uh, just for the benefit of the uh, listeners, yeah. I don't know you. Um, I think, once again, I discovered you on LinkedIn uh, <laughs> when I think you might have liked or you might have um, responded to one of the posts that uh, I put up there, possibly mm. in relation to the podcast, I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, so... Um, who are you? <laughs> yeah, I suppose I'm a guy in Darwin who's just trying to make a difference with youth in particular. Right. Uh, so well, tell us your background. Like, yeah. Start from the beginning. All right. So I was born in... No. Uh, Lilydale, Victoria, actually, is where I was born. Uh, and I grew up there for about 15 years. Uh, Mum and Dad moved up to Queensland during that when I was about eight. Uh, but I decided to stay in Melbourne after they... So we, we went back to Melbourne, sorry. And then... The thing I love about my Melbourne story before I moved to the Gold Coast at 15 with mum and dad, um, after a little trip up when I was eight, but we went back, was I went to a school that actually taught Walpri. So instead of Indonesian or you know German or Chinese, I learnt Walpri. And part of my schooling, I actually went to Yuendamu in year 10. So I started working um, or going to communities. When I went to that community, I got the skin name Jabananka. And Jabbanunka still holds as my skin in Yuendamu and also Tennant Creek and other places I've been. My work now is with 95% with Aboriginal people and I love it. Uh, and I've had that connection pretty much since my schooling days. Uh, from there I moved up to the Gold Coast. Uh, that was again at about 15 years of age. And really didn't know what I wanted to do, as most 15-year-olds don't know what to do. And got out of school, basically didn't do that well at school, repeated school in year 12 because I went back two years after because I still felt lost, didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, went to university, started an education degree, then tried business, that wasn't working for me. When I was doing business, I did an elective in theatre and I fell in love with it. And I realised uh, through my lecturer, Mike Foster at Griffith University on the Gold Coast, he took me up to a prison and said, Adam, I really want you to come up. I think you've got a good heart and you'd work really well with these four women that I'm working with in this prison. So I went up and sat during those workshops that he was doing up there. And that's where I suppose my passion started for doing the work that I do now. The work that I do now is involved over at Dondale and Holtz and throughout Malacca Engagement, Palmerston. And I'm basically working with youth just trying to make a difference to their lives. And I use the things that helped me and that was fitness, theatre, and hope theory. And hope theory really was passed to me from my uncle, who's a doctor of future studies down at Swinburne. But there's a whole bunch of information there for you. So uh, where do you want to go with all that? <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for that. I mean, uh, I'm just as my, my mind is going in several different directions. But mm. I want to start with uh, the Walpri. Yeah. Like that, that's really intriguing. Yeah. So this, which school was this in Melbourne? Yeah, Mount Evelyn Christian School. And my dad was a teacher at that school. And to this day, they still do this Central Australia trip where you go up to Yuendamu and you spend some time in the community. 
uh, and they prepare you with that by slowly introducing some language uh, and then we all got given skin names and then we made our way to this community after going through Alice Springs and stopping off at places on the way through for a 19 day trip. And I actually hold that up as something I think a lot of schools could or should do, um, just to really embrace and pay respect to the cultures that were here before us and uh, learn. And so part of my work, I do that you know, today still. That's a, that is really interesting because I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Is, it, is there any other school in, in Australia that you heard, that you know of that does that? Well, when I lived in Tennant Creek, so I lived in Tennant for about four years, and during my time there, schools would come through. And then I know that uh, Griffith University started to bring students out and things like this. So there definitely are groups doing it. But when I share that at a lot of the talks that I do, uh, people are blown away. That it, many years ago, you know, you're going back... 10 years or so, I would have been, it would have been 1981, no, sorry, 19, yeah, it would have been late 80s, 88, 89. So for a school to be doing that in 88, 89, that's incredible. And to be given that skin name, like there are young fellas that I work with, whether it be in Dondale or at the adult prison or out in their communities, as soon as I say Jabinanka, there's an instant connection. And that instant connection holds me to such a beautiful relationship that I now have with the communities that I go and visit. I regularly go back to Tennant Creek. I regularly go to Alice Springs. I regularly go to places where that skin name holds me in such a, a beautiful place of connection. And what does it mean? So Jabinanka uh, is just one of many skins. There's others out there. There's um, Jakamara and there's Jumpy Jimpa. And, then you've got the Nakamaras, so the female name starting with N, the male name starting with J. And so that gives me instant family. So obviously somebody is my dad, somebody will be my cousin just through that skin name. So that's what it means. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great connecting point. Um, and communities throughout the whole of the territory and around Australia have skin names. Now, it's not my place to go into exactly what that means because they know a heck of a lot better than I do, but I was very privileged to receive it. And recently when I was up working with Lanapoy Homelands up uh, Nullumboy Way, um, there was a community that I was out in and the Homelands are a beautiful model uh, of how Aboriginal culture can really function in a great way. Uh, when I was out at this place called Gum Gum, where they go hunting to grab their food, you know, it's still quite traditional in its way. Two little kids came up to me when I was reading a book in the school and came and sat right on my lap and they're just looking at it and they're showing me all these words like uh, buppy means snake and they're, you know, giving me these beautiful definitions. But as I walked out, one of the young fellows I was working with came and gave me my skin name for that community, which isn't Jabadanka, it's Balang. So that was my skin given to me there. And I earned that after time and I'm really interested in names and how you get given a name obviously when we're born we get given a name but in culture you earn a name and i actually think now when i run workshops i'm not interested in going around circles and just asking people's names i want to earn a name like leon i've met you today but i remember you because we've been talking a bit on linkedin and so i'm earning leon you know what i mean and you're earning adam so it'll stick in your head and i'll remember a name when it's important to me and i really like that but that's a little bit of a sidetrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, how old were you when you went to the... Um, uh, the you and me? You and me, yeah. Yeah, so that's year 10. 
So if I'm doing my maths right, I'm going to say it was around 14. Right. I reckon I was around 14 years of age. And okay. that was just uh, uh, just after that, I moved to Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. And, and so where is you and to move for the benefit of listening? Yeah, so it's I can't give you the exact geographical location, but it's north of Alice Springs. Uh, you'll see a road. I can't say exactly how far out it is, but I'd say it's about 50k, 60k out of Alice, and then you drive uh, west from there, and then you head out towards Yundamu. But I've only ever been out to the community uh, on that one occasion. I've never been back to that community, but I've been back to Alice Springs many times and lived on Warramungle land for a long time, and that was in Tennant Creek. And Tennant Creek has a dear place in my heart. I've been visiting that community now for 13 years, and the people out there have been amazing to me and taught me so much about community and culture. And you know, we don't ever, well, it's not that we don't hear the beautiful stories, but there's some amazing stories. Some of the most uh, beautiful moments in my life happened in Tennant Creek. Uh, that's probably not what you'd read in the papers. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty special. And so, how, where, where is that uh, community in relation to Tennant Creek? Is it? Is it close to Tennant Creek or how far away is yeah, it? Yeah, look, at a guess, and this is a guess, so for listeners, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but it's about 300 kilometres, I'd reckon. From Tennant Creek? From Tennant, yeah. And so, I mean, I've never been to a community. Mm. What's it like when you drive there? I mean, what is it? Well, I don't have many memories of that trip. Um, what I, what's been instilled in me and stuck with me were the skin that I was given, um, playing basketball at night with the kids, uh, kicking footies, uh, a lot of sport. And just, I remember they took us to their church on a Sunday and that was beautiful, just listening to everyone sing. Um, I remember the red dust being very different to the Dandenong Rangers in Melbourne, which I grew up in. And just, I suppose there was a different culture. It was, it was a chance to finally meet you know, what we sometimes read about. And you know, being out in an Aboriginal community was amazing. What I can talk you know, strongly about is, you know, the homelands. I've been out there a few times mm-hmm. now. And when you go out to the homelands, you basically got your school in the middle, you've got a clinic, um, you've got basic houses around the sides of that, and then there's a general store. And in the store there, they don't actually sell any unhealthy foods or um, unhealthy drinks. Uh, they, they look after uh, their bodies and, and do great stuff. And those communities are amazing. Recently, when I was out in a community, uh, I was out in, it was in Gun Gun again. It was school time and they ring a bell. So the bell can be heard throughout the whole of the community. And then the kids slowly went from house to house and picked everybody up. So it was like a school bus, but on feet. So they just walked from one house to the next until everybody was ready for school. And uh, the other thing that I loved is Wi-Fi connection is only out the front of the clinic and everywhere else you can't reach it. And so nobody's on their phone. Everybody's playing sport after school. Everybody's hanging out together. They're talking, they're laughing. The little ones are with the big ones. And I just, I wish we got a picture of that. I wish there was more positive stories about how the homelands function and how um, wonderful they are. Because, yeah, sorry. So, so when you say homelands, mm. where, where are these homelands? What, yeah, what so the ones that I'm talking about, Gun Gun, Darling Boy, Wonder Boy, um, they're up near Nullumboy, okay. uh and Lena Poy Homelands oversees that. And they just, uh, they have a youth program. And this youth program, they invite me to go out and 
teach the stuff that I've got to their youth workers on how I engage with young people and the skills that I use. But to be honest, Leon, it's a two-way learning. You know, I get so much more about culture, about community, about connection um, out on the homelands. And, uh, you know, basically these homelands were set up because uh, at that point, uh, Yurikala and Nullumboy and other areas, um, the the TOs, so I, I don't want to talk too much because I don't know enough to be able to go deeply into it, but I do know that they moved from there to the homelands and set those communities up. If you want to know more about that, talk with Lena Poy and some of the amazing groups that are out there mm. because the work that they do is excellent and I hope one day we put it under a microscope and really study it. Mm. Yeah. And so where do you live? Now, I, <laughs> I live here in Berrimah, yeah, in okay. Darwin. Right. And, uh, I actually laugh because I live at the Quest Apartments. Right. And I li I've lived at the Quest Apartments for three years. And people go, how could you live in an apartment for three years? I said, well, my milk gets delivered. My soaps get delivered. Mm. Um, I've got a cleaner that comes and looks after me. So I can really focus on the work and the kids and making the difference that I really believe that through Balanced Choice, which is my company, I've been able to start to establish in the jails, but also out on homelands. So talk to me about your company. What do you, yeah. How did you start that and what does it do? Yeah, so five years ago, uh, government were talking to me about uh, the work that I was doing at that point with Corrugated Iron Youth Arts. So I was a theatre director uh, and I was you know, putting on shows and working with young kids and using theatre to build confidence. But I also had this other string to my bow from when I was in Tennant Creek where I ran the gym and I'd done my certificates in fitness and whatnot. And they'd seen me connecting with young people and they said, would you ever put together everything that you do and set up a business? And uh, there was a couple of people who were really paramount in helping that happen from government who said, Adam, we really want you to go away and have a think about it and then pitch us this idea. Um, and five years ago, uh, that was done around a table, a big table, where I presented what I believe Balanced Choice could be, wrote a proposal uh, and got about two hours a week in Dondale. Uh, and that was when Dondale was actually located at the adult prison, Holtz. Mm -hmm. They had them in the what they now call the CBU, which is the Complex Behaviour Unit. The kids were in there for a period of time. I don't know exactly the time, probably about a year. And during that time, I ran my first ever workshop in there. To be honest, did I know what it exactly was going to be when it first started? No. Uh, I just wanted to go in and connect. So I basically sat with the fellas in there and said, you know, I do fitness, I do some theatre stuff, and, you know, I, there's this hope theory, choice theory stuff. I've done a lot of work around. Are you interested in any... Oh, yeah, let's do fitness. That'd be cool. All right, sweet, let's do some fitness. So we did, you know, some body weight exercises because we obviously couldn't have any um, weights or anything like that because they can be used as weapons. So obviously people are a bit funny with that. And then after that, I said, yeah, I really, I'm interested in how do we get fit on the inside? You know, how, how do we actually get inside and have a look at how we're going and look after our well-being and our self-care? And so then I started bringing in the quote of the day. And the quote of the day, they've just been these random quotes that I've grabbed. I now make um, the quote of the day. And I sit with the kids and I go, what do you think about that quote? And we talk and, and we have this great discussion about life together. And for me, what Balanced Choice is, is yes, it's theatre, fitness and hope theory put together to make a difference to people's lives. That's my elevator pitch tick. But 
if, it, what, if I'm really talking about what it is, it's about connecting with young people and being an influential adult in their lives and being the best version of myself every time I turn up to show them that that's possible. Mm. And so these children are you talking about, what ages are they? Oh, so most of the kids I work with are around 12 to 18, um, you know, whether that's within Dondale, but also I've got younger ones that I work with up at Palmerston. Uh, I work with the Top End Flexible Centre, so I get, I get some young kids too. Yeah, so. Okay, and are, are they? Are we talking about Indigenous youth here, or non, mm. or both? Or? I would say ninety-five percent of my clientele would be Indigenous youth. Right. Yeah, uh, but you know, I work with whoever wants the program. Uh, recently, Malden Primary School just said they'd love to have the program a couple of times a week, just to help with their numbers and help with the kids getting ready for school. And so we've done that on Tuesday and Thursday mornings and I get 45 kids sometimes rocking into the hall and we do our little fitness together and we do a few theatre games to build the confidence and then we do the quote of the day. You know, the quote that I use the most is a very simple one and it's, you're amazing, remember that. Mm. You know, you're amazing, remember that. That's it. Mm. But how often do we look a kid in the eye and tell them they're amazing? How often do we tell each other you're amazing and you're doing a great job? I just think we've lost a bit of that. Mm. And if we can bring that to our young people and start to believe that they are amazing, you know, who knows? It will be boundless possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I work with the Youth Roundtable, which used to be the Chief Minister's Youth Roundtable. I think it's now Office of Youth Affairs Roundtable. I see amazing leaders when I work with those kids. They do amazing work um, and have such a passion. And uh, if I can just help you know, point them in the right direction in life and give them a bit of uh, support and help them network with the right people, mm. awesome. So, I mean, obviously Don Dale is almost a, a, you know, a, a swear word these days based <laughs> on uh, what's happened uh, you know, with, the, um, with the Four Corners program and mm. then of course the, uh, the knee-jerk reaction with the, uh, 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 what do you call it, the, um, uh, the name just escaped me right now, the, um, uh, I'll come so yeah, this. I'll oh, come the Royal Commission. The Royal Commission. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, right. Just uh, yeah, escaped me. Yeah, uh, with the Royal Commission. So, mm. I mean, what's what's your view on all of the, how that all went, played out, and went down? Uh, it's. Uh, I think we could talk for days if yeah. we uh, really unpacked all of that. Um, all I've been able to do through that is care for everybody that comes across my path. And I remember very early on, this was, um, Naja had a huge meeting and there was about 45 people at this meeting talking about the Royal Commission, talking about um, the Four Corners report and uh, everybody wanted to sort of, oh, you know, the kids, it's, it's disgusting what's happened. And yeah, don't get me wrong, it's disgusting what happened. Um, and a real um, scar that we've got in our past that I'm, Devastated it ever happened, but I'm interested about now and going forward. Um, and what was fascinating at that meeting is we went around the circle and people were commenting on it. And it came to me and uh, Terry Burns was around at the time at Naja, and uh, he still reminds me that I actually said this. And I said, yeah, look, I'm worried about the kids, but I'm also really worried about the staff because they're human, they're people. And maybe one or two have made some really bad choices, but there are staff who are now getting death threats. There are staff who can't wear their uniform down the street because they have been 
um, boxed as the people that did that. And I sometimes think that reactive nature that society has to turn on it, Royal Commission, knee-jerk reaction, let's change everything. I saw a lot of improvements before the Royal Commission. I felt like the Senate was really trying to address a lot of the things that were causing them problems back then. Um, so since then, I've seen moments where the Senate's really functioning well. Then I've seen other times where the, you know, the kids have played up again, we're on the roof or there's a riot. You know, it's still happening. It's only happened yesterday. We're talking about it as we came in. Um, but all I know is there is some young people who have got out of that system who are making amazing choices with their life, who have turned around from where they were, and I'm regularly in contact with those kids, and I celebrate that. And I celebrate that every day I get a chance to go into Dondale, sit with these kids, and talk about how do we make that better life. You know, we were recently talking about when, you know, get to the, getting to the point of being able to look at a thought before it becomes an action is crucial. And, you know, with the riots that have happened, there are kids who have been looking at that thought and going, I'm not going to buy in today. Now, that's changing a whole culture if we can teach them all that. But it's not going to happen tomorrow. Mm. Um, but I really hope the Senate continues to improve and that we get some headway. But, yeah, we're a long way away from a centre that's functioning necessarily the way it should be. We've still got a lot of work to do. So, I mean, you've obviously, obviously spent a lot of time with, you know, youth, mm. uh, Indigenous youth. You've, you've probably developed a gut feel for what, you know, circumstances exist mm. to cause youth to be channeled into mm. the situation. Yeah. Where do you see, I mean, I know, I, you're obviously a very positive person and I can see that, you, you know, you want to look forward and not back. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess, you know, every now, you know, from time to time, especially when you're developing policy and things like that, mm you know, governments and, and interested parties mm. want to look to see, okay, well, how do we get here? Mm. Yeah, what, what has happened mm -hmm. in society mm. uh, to have caused us to get here? And why do we have um, in Indigenous youth being overly represented mm. in this class of situation? Yeah. Yeah, and that question is huge and I could answer it many ways. The way I naturally want to answer that question is, as a society, we have to look at the way, yes, it's happened. I believe connection is key to it. I believe that the gap between youth and adults is so wide that we've actually lost connection and understanding of each other. And whether that be Indigenous or whether it not be, I still believe the same problem lays within Australia and within the world. And for me, adults have stopped being adults. They drop to the kids' level instantly. And there's the tantrums are happening from the adults. You, you go, you know, if we sit through Parliament and we watch, um, you know, Question Time, what a disgrace that we would bully each other like that, that we would talk to each other like that, that that's okay. Um, staff rooms, you know, whether it be the local police station, the local uh, office space, how do we look after each other? Have we stopped asking, are we okay? Have we stopped caring for each other? And I believe that is part of the reason why we are where we are. 
is we've lost contact. And when you lose contact of people who need guidance, guess what happens? They get lost. And so it's about time we stepped up as adults and started to look at our own lives and set an example with it. Now, I come from a past that's pretty rough around the edges, yeah? I was struggling with grog when I was in Tennant Creek. I've had a life that's been really difficult, but I feel now the least I owe those kids in Dondale is to be an adult, to continue to love and care for them, no matter what their circumstance and the decisions they make. Now, some people think it's a great idea to get on Facebook and go, oh no, let's just go out and, uh, you know, I don't even want to say some of the things that are on Facebook, but you can only imagine what some of the vigilante groups talk about. No, how about we be an adult and how, we, how about we actually look at our actions and the example we're setting and then we're a chance to make a difference and then we've got a right to comment. I think we absolutely forfeit the right to comment if we're going to behave like kids. Mm. <laughs> Sorry to be so strong, but no, that's all right. That's uh, uh, how I feel about it. Look, I had the mayor on the, on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about crime. Mm. And, and the mayor of Palmerston, mm. and uh, she she has some similar views to you, I okay. think, uh, in in many ways. Uh, uh, what was quite remarkable was her comment that you know these the way to fix this isn't, isn't easy. It's it's mm. not a it's not a you know a one size fits all. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Mm. Uh, but everyone seems to be working towards uh, you know a plan to try and you know, deal with this issue. Yeah. The rest of society, though, is sitting there in judgment because um, because there is no connection to what's happening there. Mm. And it was quite ironic. Mm. The day, the week after we interviewed the mayor, mm. we got broken into. Yeah, wow. You know, our, our office in Palmerston. Mm. Um, <laughs> Doesn't that change uh, the feeling? Well, you know... Um, was just really, uh, you know, it was, you know, I, I don't even know what to say because it was, it was a little bit different having spoken to the mayor in the sense that, you know, she was trying to tell us, look, this is not uh, a local issue mm. in the sense that it's not locals that are doing this yeah. most of the time, mm. which I, that was a revelation to me. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the information that I've got back since that incident yeah. is that it was some, uh, some people from a community. Yeah, right. That, that, but, but I don't quite understand how people from a community are ending up in, mm. in Palmerston and <laughs> running around doing all this sort of stuff. I mean, do, yeah. uh, can you shed any light on that? Oh, first, I'll go back to the fact of sooner, like only a month or two ago, my partner's cafe got broken into. And so that feeling of... You know, I'm out there working for these kids and making a difference in their lives. I feel like, you know, we're seeing some real progress and then that feeling of I'm the victim. Mm. And I was really challenged about that. And, you know, you hear me get on my high horse there and start talking about, you know, being an adult. I was challenged at that point. My initial reaction was, yeah, you know, I just got angry inside. But one of the quotes that I talk to the kids about is, you know, emotions, they're like waves. You choose which ones to ride. And so I couldn't ride the anger for too long. And I actually had to be true to myself and continue to love and care for those kids no matter what had happened. So yeah, that was a really challenging time. Um, to give you an insight into the you know community crew coming in and things being broken into and things like that, 
look, I don't know the statistics around that enough to even say whether it, uh, I can comment on it. But what I do know is that the kids that I work with, they need guidance about how to be, how to behave. And the only way we're going to do that is by role modelling that. Um, and we need to be able to give them other options. You know, so often uh, in any job, it's an eight to four. You know, things kind of close down around four or five o'clock. And I, I just really challenge society to think outside that box a bit about having programs that run late at night, that we're making sure kids are getting home safely, that we're um, monitoring our streets for longer with people to make sure that our kids are okay. Mm. Yeah. One of the things the mayor said, which you know, Peter, Peter and I were quite, uh, you know, surprised to hear, was mm. um, the police actually saying the kids are better off on the streets at night mm. than they were being sent home. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard uh, I've heard from communities that I've worked in that the kids stay down the streets under the lights because it's safe at night time and that's tragic um, that we're at a point where that can happen um, and we do need to work with families to make sure that the environments that our kids are going back to are great environments uh, but that's something we have to do together um, it's not something that's going to be able to start to demand people to change it's something I think we like I said before we've got a role model and walk through step by step together holding hands <laughs> without you know i've got dreadlocks i'm not that much of a hippie but i believe we've got to do it peacefully and be respectful in relationship and understanding of each other yeah, yeah and so you know you get that the the right wing of, of of society and the left wing of society you know tugging tugging in the opposite directions <laughs> and you know i can almost hear um people that sort of you know, lean conservative or lean, you know, in, in that in that direction, tend to sort of be very rules based kind of people. Yeah. You know, they're like, this this is the law. It doesn't mm. matter whether you're white, black, yellow, whatever. Yeah. If you break the law, these are the consequences. Mm. And where they tend to get uh, irate and riled up, and you know, you can see it too a little bit in what's happening with the U.S. Mm. Is that when <laughs> when when the rules start to get you know, plied, uh, and, and you know, whether it's true or not, that the perception that the kids are, are, are um, found, caught, mm. uh, and it's sort of like catch and release, you mm. know, mm. that is where I feel the, the dialogue starts to change and starts to become very hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure, how do, you, <laughs> how do we deal with that? Yeah, oh, I'm glad those people are there because it's you need to have both opinions to find the balance. And, you know, I like the word balance choice from a company because it's somewhere in the middle. And that's why I say, you know, with the work I do, I don't want to know the crimes of the kids. I don't want to know the backstory. What I'm interested in is that young person right then at that moment because there's enough people out in society who have opinions, who know those backstories, who hold the judgment. So if I can advocate for the young person, but bring them to the table with the, the hardliners, the people who are really angry, then I'd really like to help be a part of mediating some of those discussions. Now, 
Restorative justice is a very interesting process and I've seen some really great stuff when you bring those people together. The problem is we make comments these days in a virtual world. It's very easy to hold a very strong opinion in a virtual space. It's another thing to sit in a room together, look into each other's eyes, be human, have a safe place where we feel comfortable to talk and try and find out a middle ground. That's what I'm interested in doing. Um, I'm interested in leaving all the other stuff behind for a while and just getting people together and trying to work out if we can get through this. We've got to live in this place together. Yeah, no matter where we come from, so how are we going to make it a better place to be? That's the Dondales, that's the Palmerstons, it's the Darwin cities, it's the Gold Coast, it's all of it. Mm. And so I reckon when people sit together and we actually get to know each other, we're less likely to turn on each other. Mm. Well, and you mentioned hope theory. Mm. You said it was from your uncle. Yeah, well, he's yeah. a doctor of future studies. and so I've I, never heard of future yeah. studies. What is that? Yeah, yeah, so, uh, well... He talks about foresight right. a lot, and he explained that to me once by saying, Ad, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the future without you in it. Because naturally, when you say, you know, tell me about the future, you go, oh, well, in 10 years, I'm going to be. Um, and so that's the starting point for the discussion. What my uncle, his name's Peter Hayward, uh, what he does really well is he looks at my work and says, Adam, what you're actually doing the theories behind your work that are going to complement it, that we're going to be able to make it evidence-based and evaluate it and wrap around it, is you're doing hope theory. So hope theory, to sum it up basically for you, because I need basic sometimes, is uh, it's about finding pathways for people, helping them set goals, and building the agency in that person to get there. And so if you talk about what hope theory is, that's really what it is. And there's a hope scale um, that was put together that's actually, you can measure people's hope. And uh, it's, it's great. Uh, he pointed me towards a guy called Seligman, uh, which was part of the positive psychology movement in the 90s. So I've done my readings around that, but I just continue to use my theater, my fitness, and work with these young people and just try to do the best work I can. And uh, he helps me yeah, evaluate it. <laughs> and, and have you got any like really, um inspiring success stories mm. i could be here all day this is yeah this there's one young man who i continue to meet for breakfast every two weeks at my partner's cafe just to check in with him now that he's been out for going on six months so six months is still pretty raw but during the fire in november um, which was a pretty big moment uh, for donda we still talk about that incident this young man decided that when all the others went about burning down the education centre and everything else that happened that night that you can read in the papers, um, he decided to go back to his room and he asked to be locked back down and just he just wanted to be back in his space. And he didn't get caught up in it. Soon after he was released, within a few days he was released, uh, I remember going to Dondale with him to help him pick his stuff up and start his life um, past Donda. That young fella now sends me messages all the time, picture of his brand new car, his job, um, the grind of his job, the footy that he's playing on the weekend. Um, and I can just see that this young man in that moment decided to change his pathway. And if I can build the agency in him to help him get to his goal, then I've ticked the hope theory box for all the policy and procedures that I need to tick. But 
that young man's moving forward and I'm excited about that. Mm. So he's amazing. Um, there's another young guy over in WA who, it hasn't been easy since he got out, but he took a photo when he was talking in front of about a thousand people at his university and he's doing a law degree. Like that blows me away that that kid who I remember sitting in the cell block with and talking to him about life, I never picture him to be there. You know, um, there's a girl who's holding stop slow signs who everyone thought she was just going to go to the big house. Oh, she was going to end up locked up. That was going to be her life. No, she's proved them wrong. And sometimes, you know, um, the quotes that I bring in, I, the other day I had one that was prove them wrong. And I said to him, I said, see this one, guys? I said, what this is about is there's people out there who say you're going to be in the system forever. There are people who say that prison's got a revolving door on it and you're going to keep going in and out. Prove them wrong. Because sometimes one of the best things you can ever have is people doubt you because it's awesome to prove them wrong. Mm. Mm. Well, Adam, it's been a very interesting conversation, <laughs> oh, I have to say. Uh, you've uh, opened the door on, uh, on a part of, uh, of Darwin and the Northern Territory that uh, I certainly haven't really been you know, uh, privy to, so yeah, that's right. been uh, really interesting. Yeah. And uh, are there, is there anyone, are there are any others like you, Adam, uh, mm. working in this space? Yeah, there's a guy, Yanni Stefandakis, who works with me. So I've now employed him to come on board. Uh, there's a young guy, Jason McDonald, who started with me, who was on the youth round table, and I just saw how much talent he had. Uh, there's another guy, Liam, uh, and Liam, he does rap. And so I get him in the space and he builds raps with the kids. Uh, he's got a company called Music Matters. They do some great stuff. And then I've got Larrakee Nation have got some young people. There's a girl, Alia, who comes on board and helps me. She's an amazing young woman doing some cool stuff. And uh, yeah, there's, there's others out there, young ones, who are saying that they want jobs. Uh, Maya Newton, another girl who's just started to do a few hours a week with me. So it's building. And, you know, Minister Wakefield uh, from Territory Families regularly says, you know, Adam, how are you growing the business? Because they're interested in it, because they can see that we make an impact with the young people. I'd love you one day to do a podcast with the kids at Dondale mm. and go in and ask them about what they feel about the program. Because, you know, it's all well and good to tick boxes and evaluate and make things evidence-based. But talk to the clientele and they'll tell you if it's working or not. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's growing. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for being on the podcast yeah. and uh, wish you well in the future. And it's great what you're doing, mate. And thank you for the opportunity to even come and have a yak with you. I really appreciate it. So keep it up, Leon. No worries. Thanks. Thanks, Leon. brother.